Robert Glasper, very, very popular artist, very, very controversial because people try to pigeonhole him. Is he jazz? Is he not? Is he jazz? Is he not? Well, I am not going to answer that question for you today. I'm going to tell you what he is, and then you can decide for yourself. But not based on what I say, but based on your own listening. And there's a lot to listen to. Let me tell you about this kid. Born in Texas in 1978. Now, I can say some things about Texas, not one of my favorite places, especially right now. But Texas is a tough state for us black folks. You need to know that. Now, he grew up going to gigs with his mom. Because although his mom was the choir director at the local Baptist church, she also did some jazz and blues gigs. And rather than trusting her little baby boy to a babysitter, she just take him to the gigs with her and sit him backstage and sit him on stage. Remind me of why my older son's a drummer. I used to take him on gigs with me and make him sit behind the drummer, my friend Leonard Seymour, who uh, died in Houston, Texas of, of COVID. That's probably why I don't like Texas so much right now. But uh, yeah, we, we, we musicians, we tend to want to raise our kids. And so sometimes we take them on gigs and let them be babysat by one of the cats in the band right there on stage. It can't be a safer place than that, unless you're playing one of those dangerous clubs, which you should not be playing anyway. Anyway, so young Robert, he started playing piano, of course. You're in church all the time. Your mama playing these gigs. Well, pretty soon you're gonna find yourself in front of a piano. Because the church always needs a piano player. And when your mom is the choir director, well, she got some control over you, so you're going to be the piano player, boy. He was actually playing piano in the Baptist church, a Catholic church. And that was probably strange. And uh, a Seventh-day Adventist church at the same time. Go from one service to the next. So he came up with that church background. We call him church boys. He was one of those church boy musicians. Yeah. Ended up going to high school and playing in a little high school uh, jazz band. And that wasn't really giving him what he needed. So he went to the fine arts school in uh, Texas, same school that Roy Hargrove had gone to and uh, Erica Badu and uh, got that high-level musical training with a heavy emphasis on jazz. He later went to Texas Southern University. He does not talk about that very much, but I do know that he played in the Texas Southern University Jazz Band. And that didn't last long, <laughs> I know that, because he ended up auditioning for the new school in New York and getting in with a big, big, fat scholarship and moving to New York. And that is when things started to change. Because he had some skills, 
He had that church bar personality and attitude so people liked being around him. And he was put in an environment where everybody around him is serious at the new school in New York, serious. And not so traditional in a new school. They're, they're trying to experiment, try new things. As it turns out, his bands, both of his bands, the acoustic trio he has and his experiment, those musicians were all students with him at the new school in New York. So not only did he go there and get his education, he went there and got not one, but two bands that would support him and follow him and be collaborated with him for his entire career. As well as the singer, Bilal, who has been uh, his collaborator and friend since they were students at uh, the New School. Uh, so now he's there in New York and he's got this stuff and I'm sure he's going to the jam sessions, you know. I'm sure he's going to the Needle and all those places and probably Smalls and all that wherever they can get a chance to play and be on stage. and. Pretty soon he's attracting the attention of some people who are like major jazz people. Like Terrence Blanchard. Yeah, I said it. Terrence Blanchard. And 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 and, and Roy Hargrove. Yeah, his homeboy from Texas, played with Roy for a while and doing these tours around the world and all that. So he's getting his jazz chops hooked up real nice with two of the baddest cats on the planet. And with Terrence, he's also looking at the composition, the same with Roy. But Terrence also does film scoring and all kind of big orchestrations and whatnot, so he also had his eyes and mind and ears opened up to that whole thing too. Now, like I said, he's a church boy from Texas. And his mama sang in jazz and blues clubs, so you know he had that jazz, blues, church kind of R&B thing with him. And his friend was Bilal, who was kind of, you know, pop, so pretty soon he starts doing gigs not just with the jazz cats, but with some R&B people. And by 2002, he records his first album. And, and later his second, and he's put together his groups, and he's collaborating, and his third, his fourth, and his fifth. Black radio. Well, what was that all about? Well, we're talking about very heavy hip-hop influence. And with people like Lil Hathaway on there, uh, singing and uh, most deaf, uh, one of the great hip hop artists, uh, rappers, and uh, those kind of common, those kind of influences who already have a big audience. Okay, so now he's really in the spotlight and he is immersing that church thing he has with that jazz thing he has with this hip hop thing. He's creating this gumbo. And people are liking it. As a matter of fact, a little secret is, even when he was playing in church, 
he would throw some little jazz harmony in there because once the spirit hit him, they didn't care what it was as long as it hit him. He just throw a little altar chord in there, you know, something like that, a little sus chord, a little 13, whatever he had to do to put more juice in the service, so he would do that. Uh, so he's always been expanding and experimenting and cross-pollinating, I call it, that cross-pollination. Well, this seemed to be a format that works because he won his first Grammy with that black radio. Yes, he did. And, 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 and not for jazz. No, no, this was for the best R&B album. Yeah. So now here's where we have this conflict. Who is this cat? His first Grammy is for R&B album, but yet he, he grew up in the church playing in the Baptist church and the Catholic church and the Seventh-day Adventist church and mama singing blues and jazz and, you know, he went to new school and he toured with Terrence and Roy and some other bad cats and now he's over here with Carmen. What, what? He's an artist. He's a musician. He's a creative spirit who refuses to be held down by convention. Matter of fact, one of his favorite artists and biggest influence is Miles Davis. You cannot find a more revolutionary musician in the history of jazz than Miles Davis. He was there when there was Bob. He helped create, create cool. He helped create the motor stuff. He helped create the whole fusion electric stuff. Miles was already breaking down doors. That's what Miles did. So. This is what Carmen is trying to do. He's trying to play that forward. And just like Miles never wanted to play kind of blue material in the 90s and the 80s, because that was stuff he did in the 50s. I'm not looking back, I'm looking forward. That's Miles' attitude. That's Carmen's attitude as well. Now, does he have respect for the tradition? Absolutely. You could not play with Roy or with Terrence unless you have yourself rooted deep in this tradition. Or as Marcus Roberts would say, deep in the shed, baby. You gotta be deep in it. But he wants to expand and he wants to bring more people in. And just like Miles wanted a wider audience, that was one of the primary reasons he went to the electric thing because he went and saw Sly and the Family Stone on a big pop festival with Thousands of people, he's like, watch how he played in a jazz club for hundreds and these cats got thousands. I think I'll dress like that and get me some electronic stuff and, and it worked for miles. And you know what? I'm not mad at Robert Glass because it's working for him. And he is moving this music forward. And by bringing all these other influences into it, he is opening the door for people who would not normally listen to jazz to get hey, just a little inkling, just to get a little taste of it. And sometimes a taste is all you need to get you to go deeper. Well, yeah, he did Black Radio 2. He did that. Yes, he did. And that also won Grammys. And he's done few other albums that are always critically acclaimed. 
and how shall I say this, financially rewarding. He's got a large pool of very loyal fans. He gonna make some money. I was talking to my son about what it's like for him to come to the Blue Note. He'll be there for two months, two shows a night. 500 people per show. Cover charge per head, 100 bucks. You do the man. Two shows, five nights a week for two months. Thousand people a night, 100 bucks per head. You, you do that man, okay? Yeah, so he's a good businessman too. So that, that's, a, that's another thing about him. He's looking for the business part of it. He is not going to allow himself to die poor and sick like Charlie Parker and so many other genius musicians who were so impassioned with the music that they did not take care of their, their security, their health. Robert Glasper is not making that mistake. He's learned that too from the masters. Not only has he learned how to play and compose and create and improvise from the masters, he's learned how to survive in a capitalist society as well. And that is important. And he diversifies. Yeah, I know like his stocks and bonds. He diversifies because he's also doing some film scoring. Matter of fact, some of you all, if you're jazz fans, you probably saw Miles Ahead, the movie on Miles Davis that uh, Cheatham did. It's a great, great movie, and Cheatham did a great job with that portrayal of uh, that recording session thing was uh, during the kind of, kind of blue era. And you really gotta check it out if you have not. Guess what? That entire soundtrack, which is deeply rooted in that hard bob modal thing that Miles was doing in 5960, Robert Glasper composed that soundtrack. And then there's a uh, movie I'm checking out now called A Photograph. And I love the music. And I said, man, this is a really great soundtrack. Wow, wow, wow. And then I discovered that, well, that's Robert Glasper too. So now, what are we going to do with this guy? He has got a church background. His mama sang the blues and jazz. He went to the new school and picked his band among the young heavyweights at the new school and is loyal to all of them. He was on the road with the who's who of young jazz lions at the time, Roy and Terrence and so many other great players. So he's very, very heavily steeped in this tradition. He has embraced hip hop with people like Mary J. Blige and Common and Layla Hathaway and Most Def and you name them, man. He brought them, you know, Q-Tip, just, uh, on and on and on, he knows how to throw a party. He invites the beautiful people to his party, and then he records. One of his biggest collaborators today is Mr. Herbie Hancock. Now you all know how, Her how Herbie is. Herbie's been out here forever, and he too has done it all. He was in Miles's last acoustic group. He recorded with Miles's electric groups. He created his own electric group with headhunters and all that stuff. Uh, who's going to ever forget Rocket? 
and remake of Cantaloupe Island and all that stuff. That, that's all Herbie. Maiden Voyage, that's all Herbie. And of course, Robert Gasper has done work with Herbie and has redone some of Herbie's work. And he talks about this conversation that he had with Herbie. They're in the studio and they're trying to make something happen and they just kind of sit around and jamming and they're switching from instrument to instrument and they're playing stuff they're not really good at playing. And, 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 and Robert's like, well, man, you know, I'm not a drummer. He says, it's not about the instrument, it's about the music and the feeling. That's Mr. Herbie Hancock. Then he started playing and it just works like a glove, you know? You do something, he does something that fits right with it. You do something, he does something that fits right with it. And he talked to Herbie about that. And how you do that, Herbie? He says, react. Just react. So, in judging Robert Glasper, rather than put him under the microscope and try to weigh this and weigh that and measure this and measure that and determine whether he's 60% jazz and 40% and hip-hop or 60% hip-hop and 40% jazz, or, leave him that alone. Just listen to the music and react. Because that's what you're supposed to do anyway and let all these labels and categories stay with the people who do that, the publicists and the advertising people and the record executives and promoters and all those. Let them deal with that because they probably can't hear enough to react to begin with. But you and I, we have the responsibility of listening and reacting. And if you're touched by it deep in your soul, then it's all right. No matter what you call it, you got an aesthetic response, you got an emotional response, and that's what music is all about, baby. Communicating heart to heart, soul to soul, and getting that response. All right, so in closing, I want to say Thank you, Robert Glasper, for playing it forward and letting your journey follow the path as set forth by Miles Davis with his journey and career. Always expanding this music, breaking down walls, breaking down the boundaries, and creating something new and exciting in improvisational music, which we love to call jazz. Thank you. <laughs>